Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Tweaked Audio. Right now, listeners of this podcast can get 33% off of any purchase over at tweakedaudio.com. Just enter the offer code other people, O-T-H-E-R-P-P-L, over at tweakedaudio.com. Get 33% off. Get yourself some earbuds, some new headphones. It's a great deal. 33% off. Enter the offer code other people, O-T-H-E-R-P-P-L, tweakedaudio.com. These are earbuds. These are headphones. You can listen to things with them. Go and get some. Oh, my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host. Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Right. All right, right, everybody, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is weirdly persistent. This is continuing to exist. Hello, how's it going? I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm talking into a microphone in Los Angeles. Hello. How are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Uh, my guest is Kate Durbin. I'm very excited. Uh, I had a great conversation with Kate Durbin. She is a writer slash curator slash performance artist. She's a bit of a hyphenate. And we just had a really good time. So uh, I've got uh, her coming up. Her books include The Ravenous Audience and E! Entertainment. Kate Durbin, momentarily. Um, what's going on? I just posted a top 50 list. A listener uh, of the program emailed me recently and wanted to know what the most listened to episodes uh, of the podcast are. And uh, since we're approaching 400 episodes, I figured, well, that seems reasonable. And I went into the analytics, I dug around, and I posted a list. Uh, it's a strictly by the numbers list. This is not my preference. These are not my favorites, personally. It's a strictly by the numbers list. If you want to check that out, go to otherppl.com, the show's official website. So, I was in Louisiana last weekend. Uh, I think I mentioned that uh, last week. I was there for another family wedding. I go to a family wedding in Louisiana like once a quarter, it seems like. I went to four last year. I'm, uh, I've been to one now this year. I think this is it for the year, though I could be wrong. There's still time. I have so many cousins in Louisiana. There's always a wedding at this stage of my life. So I was there. I had a very good time. Got to spend a little bit of time in New Orleans. Not enough, but a little bit. I had a very good lunch in New Orleans in the warehouse district. 
And then uh, I flew home. Had a, it was a weird flight home. I talked to the uh, two young women sitting, you know, sitting next to me in my row for the entire four-hour flight. That almost never happens. But it was a couple of like 30-year-old med students, Tulane University med students. They are buddies. Uh, Caroline and Melissa. I think that's what their names are. I think I have that right. Sitting next to me. I was on the aisle. Talked to them the entire flight home. Usually I don't say anything. I usually have earbuds in. I'm listening to something. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm online if the plane has Wi-Fi. I've paid uh, my $26 for go-go in-flight Wi-Fi or whatever it is. That's a great deal. So I'm talking to these uh, young ladies. We're going back and forth. And, uh, and then at some point in the flight, I got up to go uh, to the lavatory because, it, you know, on a plane, it's a lavatory. I go to the lavatory, and whoever had been in there before me had peed all over the toilet seat. I guess that happens. But it just seemed egregious. I walk in, I'm like, oh, I mean, it, was a, it was a big mess. And I'm, I'm assuming it was a guy. Though I guess it could have been a girl, because I've learned over the years from my wife and from uh, female friends of mine that, you know, in a, especially in a public... Uh, restroom slash lavatory type scenario a lot of women they're not sitting directly on the uh, toilet they're hovering they're bracing themselves against the wall they're squatting which if you factor in turbulence could potentially lead to a mess so there i am i, I step into the lavatory i look down and uh, you know someone has just peed all over the toilet seat and this led to a small moral crisis for me i had a moment of decision i'm standing there looking down, thinking to myself, what do I do about this? Is this my responsibility? Should I be the bigger person? Should I take matters into my own hands? Do I clean this up or do I just leave it? And uh, long story short, I wound up cleaning it up. I erred on the side of my better angels. I cleaned it up. And then as, I, you know, as I'm returning to my seat, I step out of the lavatory and who is standing there but Melissa, one of the young Tulane University medical students, from my row, one of the young ladies with whom I've been talking for the past three hours. It's, she is standing there next in line, and we sort of have that awkward like airplane lavatory moment where it's like, oh, you're next? Okay, yeah, and then you slide past, and she goes in, and then I'm walking back down the aisle to our row, but because I'm on the aisle seat, I do not take a seat. I just sort of stand there uh, stretching my legs or whatever as one does on an airplane in such a moment. And uh, the other girl, Caroline, she had gone to the lavatory at the back of the plane. So I'm kind of standing there waiting for them. Uh, they will, you know, I was waiting for them to sit down and then I would, you know, resume uh, my sitting in my seat. And as I'm standing there thinking uh, to myself uh, about what had just happened, I'm thinking, oh my God, like, had I not done that? Had I not cleaned up after whoever it was who peed all over this toilet seat? Then Melissa, who was in there right now, would think that it was me. And though we've developed this uh, traveler's bond over the past three hours, this weird, uh, strangely personal, fleeting, ephemeral, temporary friendship, you know how that is when you're talking to somebody in transit and then uh, the transit ends, you arrive at your destination, you part ways and you uh, head off in the direction of your respective destinies never to speak again. Then you both die and that's just it. 
Well, had I not cleaned up after myself, then this girl would have thought, for however long I remained in her memory, that I was just disgusting. And uh, I found myself feeling uh, grateful and convinced that uh, doing the right thing is always the right thing to do. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, thank God. It was confirmation that you should always just do, just be the bigger person, do the right thing, be a good citizen. I could have been framed. <laughs> they would have got, like, I, you know, the, the flight would have landed and we would have said like a cordial goodbye. And then as soon as I was out of earshot, Melissa and, Car- you know, Melissa would have turned to Caroline and been like, he was disgusting. Oh my God, you're not going to believe it. Like he seemed really nice, but he peed all over the toilet, you know. He can't control himself. So that happened. And uh, I'm sure your life is richer for knowing it. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, what else? Anything else? I don't think there's anything else. I think we need to get to Kate Durbin. I think you need to hear my conversation with Kate Durbin. Don't you? You ready? What else can I tell you? Oh, yeah. Well, my work has gotten so much more interesting since I left Yeah, well, I mean, but you're a person who, uh, and I've read this about you, you know, reading uh, people write about your work, that people say things about you like, you know, she's in her own lane. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's a really high compliment. That was a really nice compliment, and it made sense. And it's kind of lonely to be in your own lane. That's in some good to ways. be in your own lane. But it's also more—I don't know—it's more interesting, I think, to just do what is fascinating to you. And those are always the writers and the artists that I've been drawn to are the ones who you can't really pigeonhole them, and what they do is so singular that um, it adds something entirely new to the world. It takes courage. Well, thanks. Right. I I actually, I mean, it does take courage, but I also don't know if I could work in another way. So, and sometimes I envy people who could be more basic. Right. Or just like, <laughs> or, you know, like this is what I feel. This is how I feel. I envy people who can like fit. 
right who can just you know enmesh themselves into a scene or into a world right. or, or like who are it's just like they love uh like genre fiction right and they're really good at it or they're like super into exactly what right everybody loves but then i also find that nobody feels like they actually fit so right you know but, they, you but there are people them, who do they definitely do because you know if they're making millions of dollars it has to be or maybe they just maybe they just have better attitudes and they just make themselves fit you know and the, and the rest of us who are knows? like pushing against it somehow or maybe we all have different destinies maybe so so let's talk i mean speaking of destiny let's go back to your childhood and then okay. work our way forward so uh, Southern California, born and raised. Mm-hmm. You lived in the shadow of Disneyland as a child? I lived in Sleeping Beauty's Castle. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually lived in San Juan Capistrano, okay. where the swallows return. Yes. But they don't actually what return. is What is that, the swallows of Cap- San Juan Capistrano? It's this mythology around San Juan Capistrano. I'm not actually sure. I don't remember how it started, but it's false like they've never there's not a day every year that they fly back but there's the whole parade and people wait for them they do come back but okay not all at once swallows are tiny they're small birds <laughs> they're little birds they make these little round nests in the like corners of the rafters of the outside of people's houses okay i think they're made out of mud or something all right Seems i'm not a scientist so an ornithologist <laughs> whatever they're called to call in jonathan franz and have him <laughs> Give us a lecture. This could be really interesting. Uh, okay. So San Juan Capistrano, like what kind of childhood? Orange County. That was really idyllic, actually. I mean, I definitely had hard, hard time with school always, but in terms of like the um, physical environment of my childhood, I loved Orange County. It was so beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. And, and uh, especially back then. Yes. It wasn't nearly as crowded. It wasn't as crowded. It wasn't as maybe pretentious or at least i didn't notice that it was uh, especially san juan it's kind of quaint right um and yeah it was just sunshine palm trees i was always outside playing and uh it smells good it smelled so good <laughs> you know yeah, people don't get the that flowers like, like the jasmine and like the orange blossoms and like the there's a, something about like when you live in southern yes. california, i think that's you you know we were talking earlier um about what we like about being in southern california this smells it smells amazing. Yeah. Well, Disneyland also smells really good. Not to hijack this conversation to my favorite topic, but... What, Disneyland is your favorite topic? Yes. So Disneyland smells so good. Like, all of those rides have the same smell that they've had since I was a kid. Did, okay, how many times have you been to Disneyland? I don't... It's un- Hundreds? I don't know if it's actually been hundreds. Um, I have a pass now. I just got a pass for the first time since college, because I used to go in college <laughs> just for, like, to ride, like, two rides, you know, after class or whatever with my friends and uh yeah but like the pirates of the caribbean the smell inside Uh that first room where they have you know all the fireflies and the blue bayou restaurant it just smells so good i had a really intense mushroom trip in that ride oh i'm so glad to hear it i got stoned last time i was there like two (laughs) weeks ago (laughs) yeah i was like like we were yeah we didn't know like we didn't realize the ride was over let's put it that way (laughs) Like the guy from Disney's like knocking on like he's like guys guys you know like we had. To... <laughs> I wonder how many people on drugs go there because it, was it has not to my, be a lot. Yeah, it was not my finest moment like as a you know bright young mind, but it was fun. It's I mean it's already like being on drugs, so if you add drugs to the equation, it's even better. Yeah. So, but I mean you because a lot of people I think 
it's like oh Disneyland gross it's like corporate weird Ronald Reagan you know like there's a lot of negativity <laughs> I've never seen Ronald Reagan at Disneyland no but it's like that perfected America right you know like that 50s like scrubbed America Main Street like right you know some people I think recoil from that aesthetic because they sense um, like some sort of like weird darkness underneath it well, there is a weird darkness underneath it, or I would call it more of like a sadness. Yeah. I think, you know, Main Street was designed to look like 1930s America, which, you know... The depression. Like, yeah, but when they designed it, it was the 50s, so it was like already nostalgic. Like, he made all the buildings smaller than real buildings so that you could sort of tower over them. And it's this sort of like time capsule. So whenever I go there, it looks exactly like it did when I was a kid. Um, and so whenever I leave, I always have this like tremendous sadness that wells up inside me. And I think it has something to do with change and yeah. like life is always changing and we can't really stop it. And Disneyland is like one place that tries so hard to freeze time, freeze time. Yeah. And, and in this like child, this magical sort of like moment of childhood where everything seems possible and the world seems so enchanted and all of these sorts of things, which I think is true. I do think the world is enchanted, but like, what, like, are you like Tori Amos sprites and fairies? Like that kind of um, stuff? Well, yes, of course. I love Tori Amos sprites <laughs> and fairies. No, but I mean, like, do you think that are there like sprites and fairies in the air and stuff um, like that? Yeah, I do actually believe in fairies. I don't okay. think I've ever come out in public and admitted it, but well, we're breaking news right here, people. Yeah, I mean, I believe they're real and all right. So, uh, I guess like, okay, so growing up, Disneyland, Orange County, yeah, um, it's a religious place. You grew up in a religious family? I did, and I went to Christian schools up and up through um, undergraduate. Okay. Like, what kind of Christian schools? Evangelical. All right. Christian, so yeah. So, parents are evangelicals? Um, they still are sort of evangelical. I mean, I guess I should say they are in case they listen to this. Like, we're not sort of. <laughs> <laughs> They're way more laid back now than they used to be. They've softened. Yes. Yeah. They've been through a lot with my siblings and me, so. What do you mean? What did you guys put them through? Oh, I don't know how much they'd be comfortable with me sharing, but there's been just a lot of... Just talk about you. You know. Well, they, I've I've given them pure delight, so I don't know. <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm the <laughs> shining star of my family. Yeah, I think they never knew what quite what to do with me for a, a while, but... Then when my other siblings started to have some problems, they realized that actually my quirks were totally fine. Um, Did you develop any of these quirks, you think, in reaction to the, uh, you know, religious environment you were in? Was it any kind of exciting? You know, I know I'm reacting at least to some extent in my life and in my art to like the Catholicism I was raised in. Oh, interesting. If, yeah. if, and I think it's common. I think, mm-hmm. you know, especially if it's something that you don't necessarily like uh, jive with, like, right. Um, is that the case for you? Like, is it something that you couldn't quite like understand or, you know, figure out? And then you had... well, definitely with my first book, it was really working through um, my upbringing. And that's why I was dealing not only with, you know, Christianity, but with like all these different myths that had been, it's so important like fairy tales you know disneyland all of that was in there marilyn monroe amelia Earhart, all these narratives that had been so important to me as a child and so religion was a big part of that um but not really with i feel like i i don't want to say like it's over and i've worked through it and it's It's never over it's never over but i don't but i did work through it like i feel like they're the kind of things that i'm interested in working with now there's no sort of overt religious um 
sort of theme, but I think it's such an important part of the history of this country, and my work deals so much with American pop culture that it's like, how can I get away from Christianity? It's like right. Walt Disney and Jesus Christ, you know? <laughs> Those are your guys. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that's cool. And, you know, I think that's really cool, too. Uh, I love how in your work you don't, I mean, to, you don't shy away from pop culture to say the least. Yeah. And I think sometimes people who are working in high art or whatever you want to call it will not do, you know, they'll turn away from that or they'll deal in other realms or they'll right. get super intellectual and it'll be like right. Heidegger. And, right. You know, but you're going at subject matter that uh, everybody kind of lives and breathes right. on a daily basis and you're turning into something um, new, you know, and, and interesting. And so, thank you. Um, you know, growing up, were you a big movie nut? Oh, yeah. Well, so this is the interesting thing, too, about grad school. I remember in grad school feeling like I was trying to write these short stories because I really loved Alice Monroe, and I still do. She's amazing. So I was trying to write these, like, copycat Alice Monroe stories, and they were just kind of... Any kind of copycat. It's always trouble. Yeah, they weren't very good. And, um, you know, I didn't really realize maybe because of that sort of prejudice that exists um that I could write about pop culture and I didn't even think about how you know when I was 12 years old all I did was buy these like teen magazines like Bop, Tiger Beat, you know all those like magazines with all the cute, 17. cute boys yeah 17 did I you bought put, did you put pictures of uh cute boys on your bedroom wall? oh my god I had a whole JTT wall I had like a Brad Renfro wall who rest in peace I'm sad he's dead, but... Who is he? He was this... He's actually an amazing actor. He was in um, that movie... Oh, gosh. I think it was The Informers, which was like a Brett Easton Ellis oh, right. film. And then yeah. he was in... That's my favorite Brett Easton Ellis book. It's good. I All like that. All his books are really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he was in... What else was Brad Renfro in for some reason? Oh, he's in The Client when he was younger. Okay, yeah. I know who you're talking about. He's really good And actor. JTT is Timberlake? No. Oh, who's JTT was Jonathan Taylor Thomas, oh, who right. was in Home Improvement. <laughs> he has a, he goes by initials. Is that a uh, thing? he did at the time? Okay. Yeah, I don't know why. All right. So I I had him all over my wall, and then of course when I was in high school, it was Leonardo DiCaprio Leo. was my imaginary boyfriend, and you know I saw Romeo and Juliet like three times uh -huh. in the theater, and so I was obsessed with pop culture, um, and I was really. Did you watch a lot of TV? I watched tons of TV. Your parents didn't restrict your intake. They tried, uh -huh. but failed. TV in your room? I did have a TV in my room okay. in high school. So, so your parents were soft. They're not hardcore. No, they're like such pushovers. What my I describe my father as like all bark and no bikes. He's like a big, large man, and he's very, like, he's always yelling, but it doesn't mean anything. What does he do? Like, what do your parents do? He's, um, he's an engineer, but his job for the last um, eight years was to do the design direction for the Olympic Park in London. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's cool. So he's, like, he's got like an artistic... Yeah. That's where he's you, always, is that where you get it? I think I get it from both of them. I mean, my mom's quite artistic, too. She's a quilter, and she um, she reads constantly. Like, that's her whole life, is just reading books. And quilting. And quilting. I yeah. like that. And watching the Kardashians, By the which way, I turned her on to. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> You're converting your mother. She told me the other day, she's like, uh, I think I've been watching too many of them. I'm starting to feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a Kardashians. I don't know anything about Oh, them. you need to watch just one episode. Okay. I mean, like the Bruce Jenner think. thing. I mean, like I get it all like, you know, you, it's, you can't avoid it because no, it's you in can't. your Twitter feed or whatever. But like I've never watched a Kardashian on TV in my life. Right. That's hard What's to do. What's the appeal? What's the appeal of them? 
There's a lot of things that are appealing about them. For one, they're really like beautiful to look at. So aesthetically, they're very pleasing. Right. Um, and kind of, you know, they're very strange, too. Um, but then... Is it, is it like a rubbernecking thing? I think for some people. But the thing is, they have a they have a very sort of close-knit family as well. So I think people actually genuinely relate to them. Like, I come from a large family. I have four siblings. So seeing the Kardashians, like, bickering amongst themselves. And they're really funny. Like, they're... Lucille Ball funny, I think. Um, they have great comic timing. It's just, I can I can relate to it on that level, too. It just reminds me of my family. My mom says it's they're like us if we were really, really, really rich. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh, so that's, what, that's what America thinks. Right. Um, so your siblings, you have four siblings? Yeah. Where do you fall in the uh, pecking order? I'm you? the oldest. You're the eldest. Okay. Mm-hmm. So usually the eldest is like a, an achiever and a good kid. Yeah. Is that the case? I think so. And then your your, your younger siblings are the Hellraisers? They're all Hellraisers. All they're, of them? Well, they're great. Actually, everyone in my family is very individual. So if you see us, like if we go into a restaurant together, people just sort of crane their heads to look because it's everyone looks kind of different from each other, but very sort of... Um, Do you guys all wear sunglasses indoors? No, that's no, just me. That's just you. That's your Yeah. So, but like, I have a sister with like a rainbow mohawk and she's covered in tattoos okay. and, you know. That's awesome. It's hard to miss her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So growing up devouring popular culture, uh, where'd you go to undergrad? I went to Biola University, which is the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. No shit. Yeah. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Some people also call it the Bridal Institute of Los Angeles. Because? Because you need a ring by spring. Oh, right. <laughs> Were you feeling that pressure? Oh, I totally got one. I'm actually divorced. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, I got married to my college sweetheart. And, you know, that lasted for like, we were together for about seven years. But Jeez. obviously I changed a lot after because I'm not a Christian anymore. So, right. Yeah. So was it like a white wedding in the whole thing? Yeah, it was actually 1950s style. Oh my god! Yeah, and that's it, tough. That's tough to like. That's tough to pull off. I think it looked so good, and we <laughs> had our reception at this really cute, um, oh, this like Italian quirky Italian restaurant in Fullerton. I forget what it's called. It's like very like un- there's like a dungeon downstairs with like 80s video games in it, and it's just very like over the top. And did you have any sense when you were in this co- Bible college, like that you were you didn't fit, or were you? Were oh you, yeah. You okay? So that, like, but what? I've always felt like that, even when I was a little girl. So it just sort of, I just sort of assumed I didn't fit in the world. Okay. So it wasn't really like, and I felt like that even at grad school, which was you know liberal. So. Okay. So just you just don't yeah I mean I I get that and. I also sense that you don't have a lot of anger. I I I do sometimes have anger. I think though that probably for a long time I, I internalized that and just became depressed and okay. anxious. Um, but also now I'm older and I've like you know done what I've wanted to do in the world, and I think that gives a person a certain sense of like dignity and uh, peace. So, and you, but you yeah you've like worked out you've worked it out in your head. Yeah, for did the you, most part. Did you have I mean. to go to therapy or anything? Oh, yeah. I went to tons of therapy. And it helped. And also psychic healers and, you know, lots of new age stuff. Like, okay. So a psychic healer. Um, I've been to psychics before. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Well, you are. You do live in L.A. So. Yeah, well, they're everywhere. They are. This is a weird thing about Los Angeles that people don't know. Like, residentially, 
you'll be in a neighborhood. There are lots of just homes right. in Los Angeles and neighborhoods with a sign out front that says psychic readings. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, That's which a- is nice. Although a lot of them are phonies, too. For sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, because I'm very skeptical because I had a psychic reading when I was, uh, the day before I left for college and then in my late 20s by the same woman and I got tapes of them. Interesting. And I listened to the, I listened to the most, you know, this was years ago, but the most recent psychic reading I had, I listened to the tape of it just like a couple of months ago. Oh, interesting. She was wrong about everything. I'm sure. Almost everything. I don't go to ones that predict the future. Okay. So these are more healers and it's more of, um, because I think it is really hard to find a good psychic healer. You have to really do your research and you have to find someone who has a strong code of ethics. I have several, actually. All right. And, like, I'm also good friends with the Oracle of Los Angeles. Who's that? Amanda Yates Garcia. She went to CalArts and she's a witch and a descendant of Edgar Cayce. She's super amazing. If you ever need a witch. What, What does a witch do? Spells. Like, she, like, but I mean, like an evil spell? Like, if you're like. No, a- no, no. She doesn't do black magic. It's okay. all white magic. All right. Yeah. So, if you're like, I need, uh, I need some money. Yeah. If you need money, if you need love. She'll put some white magic on you. But you have to be, you do have to do magic yourself. Like, it's, uh, you, it's not a passive thing. So, you have to be prepared to join the spell and then face the consequences of whatever you've. Have you, and you've done this. I have done it. All right. So take us through it. Like you go to see, what's her name? Andrea Yates Garcia? <laughs> Amanda Yates Garcia. Okay. You yeah. Go, you go to her. Where is she? Where's her? Does she, she have a lives, coven? What do you call it? Um, she lives in a house. All right. It's like a Hansel and Gretel house. Just kidding. No, it's, <laughs> it kind of does have a witchy vibe to it. Of course. <laughs> um, no, you go up into her house, into this little room. I'm not sure how much she would want me to share. So I'll just say some of the, But it's like a very long process. It takes about three hours and you have to bring a lot of objects from your home that um, have certain significance to you that you're going to, you know, put into the spell. And then you actually make a sort of um, satchel. I forget what the word is uh, that has all those, um, you know, objects inside of it. And that sort of binds the spell together. And then when it, when it comes to you being active in the magic, what do you got? What do you have to do when you leave her house? Well, it depends on what you want, but there's always that part of, you know, whatever it is you want, whether it's money, love, something, you have to sort of work on your own blocks toward whatever that thing is. So you have to work through all of that yourself. But it's, you have to be really active within the spell itself, too. Like in in the ceremony of spell creation, you have a lot of work you have to do as well. Okay. So you can't ever, like, she'll never accept someone who's just saying, uh, oh, my friend, can you do a spell for them? Or, you know, she'll never accept someone who maybe tries to sign someone else up for a spell. You have to take that step yourself. Right. You have to be ready for the for the, the magic. Right. Yeah. I yeah. Get, I get that. And it comes through you. Okay. Yeah. I might have to check this out. You should totally check it out. <laughs> I think you'd really like I'm it. I'm open. I'll do anything. Uh, anything, you know, anything that'll help. Um so your 20s yeah you go to the bible college you feel like an outsider you have a ring by spring i also started the feminist club you did uh yeah how did that go hate hate letters but it went really well hate letters from anonymous you know students chauvinists i think they were students and the administration didn't like me very much either but rebel yeah you doing drugs i wasn't really doing drugs i think i smoked some pot I did some drugs in high school. Okay. But I'm pretty, like, 
sensitive toward that stuff, so I can't just do Me drugs too. all the time and get sick. I sort of I can't believe what I used to do. What did you used to do? I just smoked too much pot. Oh, yeah. Took some hallucinogens when I was in college, not knowing what I was doing. Those can be really intense and powerful. No shit. And I talk yeah. about it on the, you know, and I'm, I got to be careful because I'm a dad. I talk about it on this show a lot with people, and I can sometimes make a light of it because the experiences can be really funny and fun. Right. But you can fuck yourself up. Yeah. You know, and it's like you can do, ser- you know, serious psychic damage to yourself. I think if you take yeah. them as an adult, and that doesn't mean like that you're 21 when you take them. I just mean like if you take them in an adult manner with like healthy respect. Yeah. In a safe environment. Um, can be totally useful tools. Oh, I think so too. But you know, but you don't want to be doing it every day. No. And as a party drug and something, you know, you want to make sure you're careful with dosage and just the whole, the whole experience needs to be monitored. I agree. Um, but you never went overboard with that stuff. No, no, I never went overboard with that stuff. It does run in my family. So a lot of my, um, people, I'll just say people in my family had problems with drugs and things, but it's intense. That's the thing too, is that like, I'm lucky because I don't have that. You know, mm-hmm. I think it is like some sort of genetic predisposition. I think so. Uh, I'm not an addictive personality, but, uh, you know, that is a that is a burden to bear. And I, you know, have friends that I went to college with, friends I grew up with. Uh, not everybody makes it. No, you they know, don't. And it's sad. And I think when it's, I don't know, for a long time, I, you know, someone very close to me was addicted to so many different drugs like drugs food sex like just everything right and uh it was really hard to watch them go through that and i feel like i was kind of very judgmental about it for a long time and then at some point i just realized like that that must be so hard like that because i think that they would quit if they could it's you know? a disease yeah i think that they would stop if they felt that power within themselves to stop so yeah you yeah. gotta i mean I, I try to say i mean i i think it's a disease right i mean it's it, because it, it, I think it, uh, at the very least, to think of it in that manner allows you quicker access to compassion. Right. You know, because if it's not a disease, that's like... Well, it's definitely dis-ease, so... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think there's something... It's, I think that's the, the way that medical professionals consider it. Yeah. But it gets tough because then you're like thinking of like, you know, what people do under the influence. You know, somebody gets behind the wheel of a car and hurts somebody or... Right. You know, and then it's like, you're going to jail, but it's like, oh, they have a disease. It's like a deadly, it's a deadly disease. Right. And like, they almost can't control themselves. It's like, right. they need help and yet they're going to go to jail and like. Well, and so- the way we treat it is, is, I don't know. I mean, I think we live in a society that breeds addiction because it breeds unhappiness. So, right. you know, how do you feel, how do you that. feel about capitalism? <laughs> oh my God. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that was kind of a, that was an abrupt. That was an abrupt. I like that question. It was an abrupt segue, but like I feel like I hate it more each year. Me too. There was a time in which I was more neutral about it when I was younger, and then I think actually becoming a teacher and being a, like next year, I'm finally going to do a full time teaching position as a college professor. But for, I was an adjunct for seven years, and so that's rough. Being so exploited for so long just taught me how. Like this whole economic system that we have is, you know, before we had capitalism, we had slavery. That was our economic system in this country. So I feel like we just replaced one form with another. And I think just the fact that people have to work to earn money is really, well, it's, just, it's just sort little, of disgusting well, to I'm me. Just, what's disgusting to me, uh, like the, the manifestation of it, like of the uh, disgustingness, like the clearest manifestation of it is uh, executive pay. Yes. And minimum wage. Right. Those two issues balanced against one another 
disgust me. It's heartbreaking. I mean, and the fact that we are human beings are so intelligent and we've created so many phenomenal things and we can't find a better way to make it so that people are all taken care of. Like, right, right. right. But greed, I mean, capitalism is about greed, right? Those executives, no one needs that much money. Right. I mean, what are you even going to do and, but, but then hearing them talk about, well, if we, if we paid our employees $15 an hour, we wouldn't be able to give our customers cheap hamburgers. It's like, fuck you. Well, and you make $40 million a cheap year. Cheap hamburgers we shouldn't even be eating. So. Well, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different... Uh, it's like all tied together, though, you know? Consumption. Like, cheap shit. Like, selling... Actually, this... Going back to Disneyland. Uh, when I was there recently, I noticed in the stores, like, the items that they're selling now are so shitty. Like, they used to sell... Disneyland used to have only artisans working for them. Like, if they had a woodworker, he'd worked as a woodworker for 50 years and he would go to Disneyland and he would actually work in his shop there making these like beautiful one-of-a-kind pieces that people would come and buy and it was quite expensive um and now you go and it's like stuff from the dollar store and it's like the prices are jacked up but it's like literally breaking in the store the gems are falling off of the hat right in the store before you've even bought it and it's it's like that's how we treat people. That's how we treat things. And I don't. And I just don't, I don't like. Get it. I, here's what I don't like too. I don't like that there's such an intellectual dead space around capitalism because it's just sort of taken for granted in America, especially that like it's the best. Right. And like if you start to question it, like you're a commie, and you know what I'm saying. It's like <laughs> right. wait a minute. Like we should like let's look around and like see how people are actually doing and like what's happening with the middle class and what's happening with working people yeah and, and are people happy yeah, and this, are they this, cared for are they healthy and they're not right the system isn't working Mm-mm. so let's tweak it right i agree you know like i just i you know and i don't know i'm not the one with all the answers but like i think we should have a more honest dialogue about right. it right well and i think if everyone was more honest about what what it is doing and if we started saying no like I don't want to buy that piece of shit. Like, I don't, I don't want to work for that amount of money. I think that would make a difference. I too. mean, look at us for Christ's sakes. We're in my filthy garage talking. <laughs> it's actually, it's not bad. It's pretty nice. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I cleaned it up for you. Um, okay. So uh, you're in your 20s. You're in this first marriage. It's not, a, it's not a fit. Right. You were too young. Yeah. You didn't know. I mean, we were I, just kids. You were just kids. And, uh, you know, the ring by spring, that seems like a lot of pressure. Yes. I mean, I think back to when I was a senior in college, like, there's no way. I mean, I don't think most people in college should be getting married. A lot of those people I went to school with are now, they have like five kids. Right. Which Are they miserable? I don't think they're miserable. I kind of, you know, I wish I could say they were, but I think they're <laughs> fine, most of Damn. them. You know, I think I didn't fit into that environment, but I think some people take comfort in that kind of life you Uh know and uh i obviously made friends with the people who were kind of miserable there like my teachers in the english department were pretty miserable (laughs) like the art teachers in the art department and they were all like miserable as hell um but like i know you we're gonna be friends (laughs) we were all friends yeah but what's interesting about some of those people not all but some is that they never escaped their misery and you know it was not easy to lose my faith i really believed in all that stuff until when until grad school and it wasn't like grad school offered me some amazing alternative it was more just i realized oh i don't actually believe those things are true what was the what triggered it Tell me you were I at don't Disneyland. No, I wish. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, no, Disneyland always makes me feel so so 
I'm incredibly happy that I don't think I would be able to have that existential crisis until I leave and then I feel so sad. But um, no, I just, I realized that I couldn't get behind this idea that there was a God that would send people to hell. It's like, nobody's going to hell. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. He's vicious, but he loves you. Right. (laughs) He'll send you to a fire pit. (laughs) He'll send you to a fire pit for eternity where a demon lizard will poke you with a pitchfork, but he loves you. It makes no sense yeah, at all. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's like it makes no sense to a, a small child. Right. It's obnoxious that any adult would believe that. In it's my sad. Opinion. It's really confusing and sad. And I just realized, like, there's no way that's true. And if it is true, I'll just go to hell. Right. That's really my resolution. So. Yeah, I just you know I believe in a kinder, a kinder, gentler situation. I don't know what I don't know what's going on. I'm just confused. But None I, of us know be, yeah. for sure. But I think maybe it is this... dark. Maybe there is some dark. Like maybe this is like a big practical joke. Yeah, maybe we're an experiment for evil aliens, Who knows? or we're inside the matrix. Who or... knows? Who knows? I mean, like, but like, I think I I'm... think Philip Roth said we were. Okay, for sure. I believe him. He's a smart guy. He knows a lot. He won. He, the, he won the National Book Award. <laughs> did he do a lot of drugs? He did a lot of drugs, so okay. he might have been a little confused. I didn't know he point. did a lot. Should I know that? Um, well, you know now. Okay. Yeah, he's so interesting. He lived in Orange County, too. Did he? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, wait. Did I say Philip Roth? I meant Philip K. Dick. Okay, yeah. Now, I knew he did a lot of crystal meth. Philip Roth, I'm like... Philip Roth, okay. not <laughs> the same at all. What was I saying? Oh, my God. I was like trying to imagine Philip Roth at Disneyland. I, Philip Roth? Is he still alive? Yeah. Okay, I'll take him to Disneyland. He's in Jersey. I'll send him an email. Yeah, get him out here. <laughs> I want to see him in bright sunshine. Oh, my God. It'd be so fun. I'll take him on Thunder yeah. Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, Philip K. Dick, that guy. Yeah. It's called, like, methamphetamine equals Well, he got in fiction. trouble, like, with the law about his drugs, I think, at sure. some point. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so, okay. So, depression. Common, yeah. common to people who write. Right. Um, and I still have it. I mean, it's not gone. You have to deal with it. Like, do you take medication or anything? No, medication never worked for me. Which I don't know. I think that's interesting. I I think we live in an over medicated society. I would agree. I have a. Yeah. I, I go. I you know. I know some people find it helpful though. So no, you know, no exactly. judgment about that. I'm glad. But. I don't. Okay. Like, let me try to get into the weeds on this, and I hope I don't get myself in trouble with people listening. Because if if, if you're on medication and your doctor tells you you need medication. And that's that's making you feel better, right? Who am I to judge? Right, of course. You know, I don't want anybody out there to think that I'm saying anything otherwise. But there are people in my life who take medication, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, do you really need this? And well, the thing is, when you feel depressed, there's a reason. Right. <laughs> I mean, usually there's a reason, and sometimes it's like you have to dig so fucking deep for that reason, and sometimes the reason is like society is depressing. Well, plus it's like it seems kind of like a shortcut. You know, sure. it's, it's like people don't want to confront their suffering. So they're like, oh, I'll take a pill and right. like, you know, I'll just like anesthetize myself against it or like switch up my brain chemistry. So like it. Well, I think maybe we don't teach people how to deal with it. I think that we live in a society of shortcuts. So we're used. We, it's like I remember when I got depressed for the first time, I started having like a nervous breakdown when I was 16 in uh, high school. And then I went to the doctor and they, yeah, they just started pushing pills on me. So they weren't trying to show me how to deal with it. No, they didn't even really want to talk to me about it. Um, Fucking A. And, but my mom gave me Sylvia Plath. Oh, good mom. <laughs> I know. I like your mom. Yeah, she's cool. So she gave me Sylvia Plath and that, and that helped. But I, I mean, I think working with um, 
healers has helped me a lot too. So how do you deal with it? You have a dark mood, you're upset about something. Like at this point in your life, what ha- like how what's your process? Well, part of it now is I'm I'm familiar with my depression, so when I have it, I sort of just let it be. I don't feel like I think we have this strong need sometimes to like always be happy or to like feel like we can't just accept sadness. Right. Um, so I try to just let it be and then I, you know, try to do the things that I know will help like in small ways, like spending time with my friends, even if I don't feel like it. Right. It always helps. Sure. Get um, out of your house. Or right. Get out of the house. Small stuff. Um, but I know, you know, sometimes when it's so bad, like for me, depression has usually never taken me to a point where I like can't move at all or something, but um, anxiety has sometimes debilitated me at points where I haven't been able to function. And so I totally understand if people take drugs then, but I guess my thought on a larger scale about that is like, what is wrong with our world that people feel like that? Because I don't think that something wrong with the people and their brain chemistry. I think it's, they're reacting to a world that is like really inhospitable to our spirits and our bodies and all these sorts of things. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you know, especially sensitive people and like we need sensitive people because that's how the world's going to get better. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I think people who are really sensitive and you know, I, again, I want to step carefully because I think that people who are artistic can often use this argument in a kind of self-serving way, but like people who are artistic tend to be really sensitive Yeah, and you're you're getting a lot of information and you're aware of things that maybe other people aren't paying attention to. And I don't know if that necessarily makes you smarter. In some ways, I think it's a burden. It is kind of a burden because you're, you're taking all this in and I, it can be, you know, it can become too much. And then like the internet, all the information, social media being judged online, like feel like social media, like that whole thing. There's a There's weird a lot of aggression, aggressions, like just an undercurrent of stress. Mm-hmm. You think about it when you're not doing it. You go back mm-hmm. in, you go to Twitter, you feel a little like kind of you feel worse than you were before you went on. Oh, you know, oh no. that's all right. <laughs> um, she just punched the microphone, ladies and gentlemen. That's my aggression. Yeah, coming out just came, toward Twitter. Her arm just jerked up. <laughs> Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it, yeah, I feel like, you know, there's just that undercurrent. You have to be careful with that stuff because right. it's toxic. And well, well, with that, the good thing is that you can, if you can have self-control, which is hard, don't go on it. You right. Know, try not to. I'm trying to do it less because it does, I, I do think we pick up so much from um, um, from that space because it's like this collective brain, right? We're all on the internet and our brains are all sort of like merging with each other's brains. And uh, when it's really highly negative, it starts to make all of us more negative and i think oh that that's God. not yeah the it's anger really toxic anger anger on uh twitter oh it's on facebook too i'm not on facebook mm. i can only do one like yeah i can know. only do well i'm on instagram and facebook is instagram bad too instagram's not bad okay instagram's pictures that's so right. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to get it maybe i do maybe i, I did get i i got a picture reported yesterday though because i had my nipples in it and apparently oh, instagram God. hates nipples but that's a fucking stupid. Oh, but what I was going to say before, the other thing, I think being an artist, part of what helps you get through depression is making art. Yeah. You know, being able to create. Because I remember when I was a little girl and I first started writing stories, I felt really, um, I often felt really powerless because there's so many things you can't do when you're a kid. And then when you get to be an adult, there's so many things you can't do because of 
you know, social restrictions and money. And And you feel that, is there a gender element to it too? I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just, it's, it's frustrating because it's like being a kid in a candy shop and not being able to buy any candy. Like you can see that the world has all this potential for things you could be creating and doing at all times, but there's all these rules and reasons why you can't do it. And so for me, writing was like such power you could do and such play like and uh you know it it reminded me of like being a god and being able to just like speak a word and have something manifest that's cool um, you still have that i do still have that yeah even though i think a lot of my more recent work deals with feelings of um feeling trapped or or like not feeling like you can like my last book, I transcribed all these reality TV shows, and one of the things <laughs> this is E Entertainment. Yeah, E Entertainment. See, I love this. <laughs> I think this is fantastic. This because this to me is like it was really fun. Well, I think it's it's fun, but it's also you know you're really intelligent in your work, but it, it's it's meeting people where they are. And right. I think a lot of times in in literature, you know, it, it, that's not the case. You know, literature often wants people to come to it. Well, I wonder if sometimes people who write very pretentious books just have felt really insecure a lot of their life and so they feel like this is finally their chance to prove that they're smart or to prove that people should be impressed by them or something maybe i mean i don't know i mean you gotta you gotta write i think i mean i think you gotta write what you're uh interested in right you can't try to you know you can't try to bend yourself into something that you're not but i think that not enough writers because all of us are watching netflix all of us are of course you know on the internet reading the about the kardashians or whatever mm-hmm. like, why should we pretend otherwise why shouldn't we be dealing with this and not right. not very many people do well also it's so familiar that we forget about it sometimes it's like you know but and then but that brings up a good point because i think that um, good artists defamiliarize the familiar yes you know, and yes. like that's what you're doing is that you're you're making people take another look at it because it that's becomes what such, I hope. <laughs> so yeah, such an it's such an ingrained part of people's environments that they take mm-hmm. it for granted and they think they know everything about it. Well, and for me, a big part of the process is I have to do that to myself in the process of writing it, which to me is so fat, like endlessly fascinating. Like it was, some people have asked me like, well, wasn't it boring to watch you know the same episode of The Hills hundreds of times? I love The Hills. The Hills is I so fucking good. love that show. But it was it was such a fascinating process. Yeah, it would get a little like. Which episode? By the way, can um, you hear this bird? Yeah, I think it's. I think the witch sent us. <laughs> Amanda, <laughs> did you send that bird? I just uh, saw her last night. I like the I like the ambient bird. So, but continue. Which episode of the hills? Did it does you sound like a fairy tale bird too. Yeah, that's like what Ansel I'm saying. And Gretel, yeah. um, which apparently is the only fairy tale I know because I keep referencing it. <laughs> um. Oh, which episode? It's called I Know What You Did, and it's the one where Lauren confronts Heidi about um, the sex tape scandal. Right. So where Heidi had told the press that right. supposedly, maybe. Right. We don't know for sure. Heidi blurbed the book, so I don't want to. See, I think there's something very high, like, I mean, genuinely high art about The Hills. I've made this oh, argument. Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And it's, it's completely and brilliant. Beautifully shot. Yes. You wonder if it, you're sitting there wondering if it's real. You're hating yourself for watching it while you're watching it. Right. And yet you can't stop watching. I mean, I guess that's the case. I didn't really hate myself when I was watching it. But, but I don't know. I did. I'm like, Ew, this is gross. You know, you're sort of like hating Spidey. You're like, what is yeah. this? And yet you're like, <laughs> you can't get enough of them. And, I, I, I like mean, that Spidey sounds like spider too. Yeah. I mean, the right. whole thing, you, the whole thing, is it real? Are they really together? And like, they really, right. they really are, right? They are. They're still together. Spencer and Heidi are still yeah, together. Yeah, they're very much in love and they're still doing all kinds of interesting art 
and reality TV projects. They actually work with some of my friends at USC, Mark Marino, who's like a professor there who does all these net prov, like internet-based art experiments, like with Twitter and things like that. Oh, um, and he had Spencer as a student, so he's been working with Spencer and Heidi for a long time. And, you met them? Um, I haven't met them in person, but I've you know emailed with them, and they really liked my book and you know were supportive of it. And I uh, interviewed. You should get a blurb. I did. I got blurb from Heidi. You did? Yeah. <laughs> and then Spencer gave me one too, which I haven't used yet because then I was like, well, they're kind of the same person. So I'll it just. should have just been from Spidey. That's also a good idea. But what I wanted was I had a blurb from Heidi Montag and then from Jerry Saltz. And I wanted to make sure that Heidi's sounded smarter than Jerry's to confuse people. <laughs> I mean, Jerry's sounds smart too. Right, no no, no offense to him. But like his is more like. Sounds more like something that she would say, so right. it's pretty funny. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. I like that. I really love the hills, I, and it's so good. I think it's a, it's a cut above. I miss it in a way. Um, it was definitely a genre breaker, and I think the first time I saw it, I didn't know what I was seeing, and I love that. Like, mm-hmm. and the context of where it appeared, like on MTV and all of that, is really really exciting yeah it was like it's just a weird mix and mm-hmm. it was uh i thought the last episode was brilliant that's what inspired me to write the book the pull away yes i was like okay this is genius like I've so been had, cool yeah so cool awesome well i'm glad we shared that me i don't too. meet too many people who love like I, I, I say that to people and they just kind of like go like dead in the eye they but you know what occasionally like if they watch it if they watch that episode then usually i feel like people they then they around. get it but they just they have this prejudice before they even get there right so okay which is too bad let's talk about you as a performer okay um what is it called the selfie high selfie what is it? oh hello selfie. hello selfie. <laughs> i like high selfie high selfie <laughs> um it's version 2.0 this is a brilliant idea this is one of those ideas so like uh it's like brilliantly simple like why didn't i think of that you know it's so it's the most simple thing i've ever done it's literally just girls taking selfies for an hour but they are covered in Hello Kitty stickers. But and doing it in public. And doing it in a public square. But then sharing it online, online simultaneously. Yes. yes. So, so it's you're, you're ta- IRL, URL, yeah. same time. That's brilliant because this is like this very private behavior. Like, uh, like, first of all, I want you to just talk about selfies because I think everybody's got an opinion on them. Yeah, they're the hot topic. Although they're starting to be like slightly old news now. But, that, but Kim Kardashian just came out with her selfie book like two days ago. She did? Yeah, it's like this, I think it's 900 pages. Don't quote me on that. I'm always wrong with numbers, but 900 pages of her selfies since like the 80s or something. No shit. She's, she was taking selfies in the 80s? Of course, because she's so forward thinking. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she's always ahead of the curve. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my opinion on them, well, I think they can mean different things in different contexts, but the selfie explosion itself is really interesting to me. And you're po- you're positive about it. I'm I actually try to be neutral about things. So because I feel like with anything there's positive and negative aspects. So I could see how you know selfies might show that we are sort of narcissistic. I can't take a selfie. You I mean, can't. I mean if well, I'm with you know my what? daughter or something. I'm going to do Oh, hit the microphone again. I got really excited. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to do the project with men next. Oh, and God. so maybe you would like to be in it. What do I got? What do I have to wear? Um, well, you would be wearing pants, but no shirt. Oh God, no way. Please. <laughs> let's talk. We can talk about it later. Don't make a decision just yet. I can't well, do it. Well, it's, what's interesting about it is that the women said yes so easily when I asked men to do it. 
the men are all they don't want to objectify their bodies but women we have to do it all the time yeah so i feel like maybe <sighs> you should think about that we can talk through it not on the air the maybe. shirtless thing is deal breaker i just i don't look good enough you know what? no one wants to see that no one looks good enough i know you know it's just some people bodies. do some people do in los angeles well, All the gay know. dudes at my gym look fantastic. I'm sure they do, but yeah. you know what? Anyway, don't don't decide just yet. Okay. Maybe we can talk about it. <laughs> Where are you gonna, <laughs> what, what part of Los Angeles is this happening? Um, that'll be to be announced. What like what time of day? Probably. Can we do this at golden hour? <laughs> I think actually we do it at sunset. Okay, good. Yeah. Nothing at high noon. No, not no high noon. Like, because that's the thing. But again, Very... the girls did it. I mean, the girls did it in the hot, hot day at like 1 p.m. in Chinatown, sweating. What they have to wear? They wore panties and little bra tops. Damn. And they were very brave. And, and Hello Kitty. Yeah. And what was the reaction from people all around, like passersby? Um, diff- varying reactions. I mean, and I did it in New York too. You know, in Union Square, and then. Um, in collaboration with Transfer Gallery, which was great. But New York was, like, very um, verbal when they were encountering them. Oh, yeah. they, yeah. were, they were so great because they were just talking through it, like, really loudly for the whole duration of the performance. Like, the thing that surprised me the most was how willing people were to stay with it. Just even, you know, people who were passing by, not people who knew about it from the art world or the literary world or whatever, that they would stay and watch people take selfies for so long. Right. Um, you know, and I think at first they were like, okay, is something going to happen? These girls going to get naked? What's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. What, what's next? <laughs> and then they realized no. And then they would just, they just stayed with it. And it was really cool because I think, you know, each person kind of got a different, um, took something away from it that was their own. And a lot of people took selfies of themselves with us, which I also thought was cool because that, you know, I wasn't sure if they were just going to sort of objectify us and take pictures of us. Um, and people did do that. But a lot of people got in there and were, like, taking their own selfies with us. That's and cool. That was super cool. Yeah. That's, like, that's kind of what you want. You want, like, a creative act to inspire other spontaneous acts of creation. Right. And, yeah. Um, did you film this? Yes. And you the did. film is super beautiful. Um, Jessica Nicole Collins filmed it. And uh, she has, like, this really dreamy sort of Sofia Coppola uh-huh. Aesthetic. So I'll send it to you. It's super, super cool to look at. That's awesome. And so, like, yeah, when you do these performance pieces, is the idea to have something like permanent, like on film or on tape, that you can carry forward, or do you do you know do you ever do ones where it's just like you know it's here and then it's gone? And you know. I usually like. I mean, especially because my work deals so much with like the digital era. I like to have many layers of um, archive. You know, so filming it. And then having the selfies as well. Um, so there's, you know, the performance that's happening in the square. There's the performance that people are experiencing online. And then later people can watch the film in various contexts. And I think all of those are different ways of encountering the same piece. that are. And then, of course, people have their own selfies and their own videos of it, too. So I like having all of those things existing in the world yeah. as these sort of traces of the performance. Totally. And I'm then- not really into the... I mean, I, I like performances that are ephemeral and in the moment, but uh, I don't know. I like being able to look back on it later. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, if, if you're doing digital, it makes sense. Right. You know? And so, um, you know, poetry, um, I think, in, uh, as opposed to other forms of literature, lends itself to performance better. 
yeah. than most. I find like readings of uh, text, like long form, can be they're, they're hard right. to do well. But poetry, you know, poets I think tend to be more performative. Well, and the sa- poetry sound is important exactly. so that right. you already are performing it. Um, yeah, and I actually started getting into performance when I was reading from my first book. Because okay. I started thinking about what I was going to be wearing uh-huh. and wearing dresses that corresponded to the book. And then after that, I started to get tired of feeling like I had to be wedded to a text to perform. So I wanted to do performance that, you know, was just performance. So how do you identify creative? I know you don't. I'm not trying to pigeonhole you. Do you think <laughs> of yourself as a performer or a writer? I am a mermaid. A mermaid. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like there's like, like Marina Abramovich. Yeah. Am I pronouncing her name right? I think it's Abramovich. Abramovich. So Marina Abramovich. Uh, what she does is super cool. Obviously, very hard to carve out a career like that. It's a very right. Well, you know, and she's niche. really had a lot of success as as she's gotten older. Yeah, because she's kept going. She's amazing. Um, uh, are you on a track like that? I don't know what track I'm on. I think one of the things I've learned about myself, just going from you know fiction to poetry to performance, is that I can't really plan it all out. What's gonna inspire me and interest me is going to change over time like my subject matter tends to stay within a certain realm so far but um like a thematic realm but still like in the last couple years i've been super obsessed with reading about like alien abductions i don't know what that's gonna turn into in my work maybe nothing but i just can't help if something you believe in that seizes my imagination i believe something's happening i don't know what it is you think people have had anal probes and all that kind of stuff I I tend to believe people when they say that something has happened to them. Uh-huh. I feel like... Um, Just show me a body. Just show me a spaceship. Well, what's interesting is someone posted on my Facebook wall recently that their mother was like a five-year-old girl who was at Roswell and saw the spaceship land and actually went and touched the, the oh, like, the crashed... Heart. Okay. ship that felt like velvet they said and oh, then like God. an an army man came and interrogated her but then of course this is all still you know secondhand narrative but right but i also think take a selfie why would the they lie yeah. take a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know what's going on with all that stuff but yeah. oh what was your original question oh well, how do i identify yeah. well i just identify as an artist and a writer Okay, but you don't and have a mermaid. Like, 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 but people like whose careers you're trying to emulate—is there one you could point to? No, no, you're in your own lane. I just, I think life has its own plans, and I'm just along for the ride. And you're and, following your instincts. Yeah, and there are so many artists who I admire. You know, like if I am doing performance, of course I'll think about Marina, and I'll think about Vanessa Beecroft, and all these amazing, you know, feminist performance artists who I can learn from. But what about Lady Gaga? You're into her? Oh yes. Well, you know about Gaga Stigmata, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So you did a whole thing about her. Yeah. I'm not as into what she's doing now, but um, for the fame and the fame monster, it was like one of the most exciting like meta art projects that I've ever seen in my life. Which, I mean, because I don't follow her too closely. Like, I'm aware, I'm obviously right. aware of the fame and the fame monster, but like, what has she changed to lately that's not as interesting? Well, now she's doing jazz with Tony Bennett. Oh, right. <laughs> and I don't... I'm not a huge jazz fan. It's it's beautiful art form, and I'm happy to like listen to it while I'm eating, you know, Italian food or something. But right. <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounded really condescending. Oh, it's great music for <laughs> carbohydrates. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It's just not my thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I think you know she's not. There's not a lot of what she's doing now that is, um, in, in sync with you. Right. Are yeah. you? Do you know her? 
I know people who know her, but I, I've actually kind of avoided meeting her when I was working on the project for a few different reasons. One was that we were fairly certain that she was using a lot of material from our blog in her own work because she would, like, say things in interviews that were verbatim from what our writers had said. Oh, interesting. And we started, like, doing what was called projective criticism where we would talk about, like, what we thought she was going to do next. Uh-huh. And um, then she would do it. Oh. And so I didn't want to meet her because I didn't want her to tell me that it wasn't true. Right. But I also didn't want her to tell me that it was true. I didn't want to know. I don't want to meet any famous people unless it happens accidentally. Right. And I was within like five feet of her. I actually went because I'm friends with um, Jimmy Kimmel's brother's sister. Right. (laughs) So they invited me to go, you know, on the show when she was playing. And what's amazing was James Franco was also there that night. So they both passed within like five feet of me in the like green room area. Uh So I saw James Franco pass by and then I saw Lady Gaga pass by. Oh, I just hit this thing again. (laughs) Um, And so like I've been really close to her. And I Did you make eye contact? No. Does she know you? Does she know what you look like? I'm sure she knows. You think she saw you? I don't know if she... She did actually see me because when she was on stage, she turned and looked at me for like five seconds. She probably thought... Did you think she was afraid? There was a weird vibe. Just because... And the only reason I say that is that if you're a famous person and somebody's like uh, created an entire blog about you... Or right. ...and is really obsessed with your work... Right. It's got to be a little creepy. You might be... Or at least there's like some... <laughs> No, but I mean, there's some part in the, in the culture right. and the society that we live in, there's some part of your brain that's like, okay, I'm flattered, but like, I hope that they're not like, I'm sure too obsessed. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think our blog was not, I mean, it's so sort of intellectual that it wasn't too creepy. Right. There's definitely Gaga fans who are, were, became obsessed with our work who are creepy. I mean, and sure. sweet at the same time, but <laughs> little monsters, <laughs> right? Um, but no, I I don't know. There was just some. There was like a moment of recognition, but I just didn't feel, for whatever reason, I didn't. I felt like it would break the spell you if I met you her then. Meet her. And I still kind of don't want to meet her. Right. I've met met people who know her. I've met so many people in this town who are like, "Oh, introduce you," and I'm like, "No." She's uh, no thanks. She's got an amazing voice, beautiful voice. Yeah, she can really play that piano and mm-hmm. sing. Um, not as good of a dancer, but like his game. Right. And like, I always think, cause I always think about like American pop stars and like, you know, I have this argument with my wife, you know, because I'm a huge Gwen Stefani fan. Oh, I love Gwen Stefani. Well, she's your girl from Orange County. Yes. But I'm always like, cause everyone like loves Beyonce and I totally get it. Beyonce's um, beautiful. Beyonce's beautiful, amazing voice, great dancer. Yes. Um, great you know, sparkles. She wears so many good sparkles. Yeah. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of, like, really talented uh, people in pop music, a lot, a lot of really talented women, but, like, you know, Madonna's sort of like the um, the forebear, you know, from, yeah. at least from my generation. And she's I mean, an am- she still is. Yeah. She's, I mean, she's an amazing dancer, not as good of a singer. Gaga can't dance, but she can sing. Right. I guess Beyonce can do it all. I feel like Gwen Stefani can do it all. And her style is amazing. Well, Gwen's like in her own an, lane, though. Yeah, but she, and I feel like Gwen's really nice, too. Gwen is super nice. Her style for so long was so cool. Like, yeah. there's no one who dressed like her. She's amazing. She's gorgeous. And, uh, yeah, she was a huge inspiration to me when I was growing up. Plus, she used to play at Disneyland. Yeah, well, Tragic, when, tragic Kingdom. I know. Yeah. And they have that little clip in it from the Matterhorn, uh-huh. the bobsleds. Well, and the thing, too, is that uh, I think when you live in Southern California and you feel rooted here, 
there is something that about their music, like about No Doubt's music, that just evokes. It totally does. Like the sunshine. It's yes. A feel, it's a feel good band. Yes. And you know, but I really, uh, I don't. I think because maybe she has more. I mean, I'm. Proje- I know. I'm guessing. But she seems humbler. Well, I think she. She doesn't. Maybe, is pretty humble. And I don't, I That's don't think, the vibe I get too. I don't think Madonna is. No, I mean Madonna is like a, a royal monarch and that's <laughs> right. fine i actually kind of enjoy madonna's not humbleness like i enjoy yeah. that she's just she like she drives me crazy but i but i think uh gwen is like a very kind person and so the, again i guess my point is that because she's not out there like thumping her chest and like you know doing the publicity stunts right she doesn't get the credit she deserves well, I also think her narrative is so different from those. Other. She she wasn't a pop star. She was in a band. Yeah. It was like an underground ska yeah. band here right. in Orange County that became famous. I mean, that's kind of the American dream, right? She didn't actually try. She didn't get famous till her like late twenties, like, right? That's when they hit. Yeah. Um, and they're a good band. I've seen them live. They're good. And they're all of them are nice. I like those I guys. I love No Doubt. I love them too. I'm a proud No Doubt fan. Oh man, we are really bonding right now. They are the, I mean, I was obsessed. I don't even, it's, yeah. That's your hometown crew. Totally. They are why I moved back here when I was in high school. I had to move to Arizona for a short stint of misery. Yeah. And I was like, No why? Doubt, No Doubt's in Orange County. I got to go back. <laughs> why did you, why did you move to Arizona? My family, my parents, oh. you know, got a job there. So. Okay. Yeah, it was horrible. So, but you came back for no doubt for real. Like that was a driving force. They were a big part of it. The music in Southern California was really important to me. You've seen them in concert a bunch of times. Oh yeah, tons. I think like six times. Okay. I even saw their more recent, you know, stint at Staples Center or whatever it was. Uh huh. Um, I want to take my daughter. Oh yeah. Got to get. What her. does she think of Gwen? Uh, not much yet. She's four. Oh, that's so get her some, but I want to get her some headphones and just like put her on my shoulders and let her see. I'm sure she, I mean, love she it. rocks and like, she does push ups and like, you know, I feel like she's a good role Amazing. model, you know? Oh, you mean Gwen? Yeah. I thought you were, you were saying your daughter does push ups. It's <laughs> like, no. wow, I'm a, I don't do push ups. Yeah. I have her uh, training every morning. <laughs> G.I. Jane. <laughs> um, yeah, we do weights, but, um, no, but I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like it's good to show kids live music and, uh, oh, yeah. There's something powerful about that moment, you know, when you're a kid and uh, seeing people up on stage and seeing uh, like a, a strong, like for my daughter, I wanted her to see like a strong, cool woman. Yeah, Gwen is definitely a strong, cool woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her uh, abs are. It's ridiculous. Powerful. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, so what's next for you? You know, I'm trying to decide. I'm going to do Hello Selfie with men. So that's uh-huh. the next. You know, so probably what's next is convincing men to take their shirts off <laughs> in public, which is surprisingly hard. There's got to be some guys in Hollywood who are dying to take their shirts off. It's not that there aren't. It's just that it has to... Whenever I do performance pieces with people, like, part of it is that I have some kind of, um, you know, friendship, relationship with those people who perform. So it can't just be, like, you know, random, like, gym rats uh-huh. in Hollywood who are willing to, like, you know, flex their pecs uh-huh. or whatever. Um, there could be a few of those though too. <laughs> um, so I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to write a novel, but oh, I you haven't are. started it yet. When where are you teaching? You at Riverside? I teach at Whittier College. Oh, at Whittier. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they're like what undergrad or grad? Undergraduate. Okay. Yeah, they don't. It's really small school, so I don't. Yeah, their grad program is Whittier? just like law, I think. Um, it's in Whittier. Okay. <laughs> It's over. It's kind of on the cusp of Orange and LA County. It's right. near like El Monte. 
See, there's all these, like, I've lived in Southern California for all this time, and there's all these towns. I have no idea where they are. A lot of people haven't been to Whittier. It's actually really delightful. It's like a, a Quaker-founded town. Uh-huh. There's a lot of really cool, um, like, Is that where the people live to be, like, Mexican rockabilly type kids uh-huh. in the town live to be 100. I don't know. There's some religious community in California that has, like, an incredible number of centenarians. I don't think it's the Quakers. Okay. Might but be something else. They are past. It's like Seventh Day Adventists or something. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know what they do. But it must be food related or something. Maybe. It's Jesus. <laughs> it is Jesus. Yeah. And where, <laughs> where, like, yeah. Where are you spiritually? You said you're. Uh, it's healers. It's witches. I it's guess fairies. I'm pretty new age. New age. I'm. I'm not embarrassed to say it. Crystals. You know what? Well, one thing is that Spencer Pratt loves crystals i know he loves them yeah um i really like crystals and i've wanted to get into crystals but i'm just afraid that once i start buying crystals i'm gonna like get out of control and spend all my money on crystals <laughs> and then not be able to pay my rent so okay. i have one crystal like when what is it what kind of crystal i think it's it? an amethyst okay it's really beautiful purple purple what, is I, that? what does it do for you i don't even remember okay but i feel like i can't do anything bad yeah no it's not going to hurt me. I, I, uh, my dad got my mom an amethyst ring when we were younger. Oh, nice. No, but it was like, it was the wrong call for her oh. taste. And I just remember her opening it and being like, oh. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> it was like, I mean, it was like the same I mean, bless his heart. He meant like, he meant nothing with good. But my mother has specific taste. She was like, ooh, you know. Yeah. I just remember as a kid being like, amethyst. Like, don't get a woman amethyst. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't get your mother one anyway. No, no. <laughs> Do but, you have uh, crystals? I don't. I don't. I'm, uh, you know, it's for me, it's meditation. Oh, that's good. Buddhism. But, like, I'm not a Buddhist. I don't go to temple or anything. I just Well, I, the thing about Buddhism is you can not be a Buddhist and be a Buddhist. That's why I like it. Yeah, it's like the one religion like that. No, it's just that, you know, I just try to sit down and shut up twice a day if I can. That's really good. That's where That's I'm That's all at. you need. I think, you know, so far, I mean, I don't have it all figured out and I have my moments, but it definitely helps me. I think it helps a lot of people. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, do we cover everything? Is there anything we didn't talk about that you feel like you need uh, the world to know? I don't, I don't know. I feel like we covered a lot. Yeah, I do too. It was good. I mean, you love Gwen Stefani. That's all oh, I need to know. Lo- adore her. <laughs> worship her. Well, Gwen, if you're listening, we're your number one fans. We really are. Um, Kate, thank you for coming over. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. All right, guys. That's Kate Durbin. Isn't she great? Go get her books. E-Entertainment. That's available from Wonder Press. And then the Ravenous, uh, the Ravenous Audience is available from Akashic Books. Uh, you can find Kate online at womenasobjects.tumblr.com. She's got an interesting Tumblr presence. She's also on Twitter. Her handle over there is at Kate underscore Durbin. Track her down. Find her. Locate her. Thanks to Kill Rockstars, as always, for all the good music. Be sure to check out uh, killrockstars.com. Don't forget about the app. This podcast has its own app. Get the app. It's free. Did I mention that it's free? The app is free. It's available wherever apps are available. Get it at your favorite app store, the Other People app. Once you have the app, The most recent 50 episodes of the program will be there waiting for you free of charge. 50 episodes for free. And then if you want to access everything, if you want to stream the archives, you can sign up for Other People Premium right there within the app. It's very cheap. It's as cheap as 75 cents a month. It gets you access to everything. You can stream every single episode I've ever uh, recorded. It's incredible. Do that. Support the program.
you want to uh, email me, the address is letters at otherppl.com, letters at otherppl.com. Let me know what you're thinking. I always love hearing from people. Let me know what you uh, think about peeing on airplanes, cleaning up after complete strangers in public lavatories. I don't even know. I mean, what do you do? I feel like I did the right thing. Do the right thing. Because it would have been really hard to recover from. That's what I'm trying to tell you. How do I explain to somebody I just met like, oh no, that wasn't me. I just want to, like, retroactively let you know that I wasn't the one who peed on that seat. How do you prove that? You can't prove that. It's a slippery slope. She's going to think it was, you know, she would have thought it was me. It would have been a disaster. There would have been no recovering from that. You never get a second chance to make a first impression, people. Please remember that Sylvia Plath was born on Dylan Thomas's 18th birthday and that Joseph Conrad is buried in Canterbury. Uh, that's it for now. I'm all done. I've had enough. Haven't you had enough of me? Have you had enough of me? I haven't had enough of you. You know what I'm saying. It's just a natural time to end the show. The interview's over. I'm out of things to tell you. And let's face it, I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel when I'm telling you about uh, my lavatory experience on an airplane and trying to draw from such an experience a relatable morality tale. <laughs> Thanks to Kate Durbin. <laughs> <laughs>